If I could get your attention, we'll get started today. As you know, we're studying the book of Isaiah, and today we will be looking, we're covering a lot of ground, but Isaiah 13 through 23, so it's that 11 chapters. So Isaiah 13, if you have your Bibles or your electronic device, Isaiah 13 through 23, and uh, this is the section of Isaiah where he, the prophet Isaiah is sent to tell Israel and Judah, mainly Judah, where he is operating in Jerusalem, that uh, these nations around them, these corrupt, idolatrous nations around them are not to be trusted. But, uh, of course, last week we saw where the king of Jerusalem, Ahaz, last week, uh, God tried to help him and, and uh, tried to get him to depend on the Lord God, but instead he secretly was making an alliance with the nation of Assyria. So chapter 13 through 23 is uh, God's message that you don't put your faith in all these crooked nations and all these evil tyrant rulers. They may have big tough armies, but they're not going to do you any good in the end uh, to make these corrupt bargains. And he's going to uh, give judgments on all the surrounding nations, in fact. There's nine of them in today's lesson, all of which are basically all in league with Satan, is, is the prophet's message, and that God is going to bring them down. And, and so, uh, in particularly, the focus in chapter 14 will be on the nation of Babylon and the king of Babylon and his arrogance and it's clear in, in chapter 14 that he is the personification of the devil and has clearly sold his soul to the devil. Just like today's movie, the guy uh, wants all this stuff and all these things and wants to be fulfilled, wants the girl of his dreams, and so he sells his soul to the devil. I saw one of those guys interviewed the other night on TV, and he was literally sweating just like that. Where does all that sweat? I mean, it's incredible how much they can sweat. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, that movie was bedazzled, and and you got the gist of it. You know, this guy has the girl of his dreams, and he wants to be rich and powerful and all the things that people want, you know. And what they find is not that wealth and power and talent doesn't actually all that stuff he thinks will fulfill him doesn't. He's just shaking hands with the devil is all he's doing, selling his soul. You can't have it all. Beauty is only skin deep. Appearances are deceiving. Power is corrupting. Fame and fortune is a burden with strings attached to it, and it's all fleeting. That's, and so it's a great message from that movie. It's all fleeting, right? And it's what people always want, and they've always done, and so in today's lesson you'll see that all the great uh, warrior kings and tyrants, dictators, all the corruption and depravity uh, that make them up, all the great names like Alexander the Great and all the Caesars and then, you know, Nero and the, uh, everybody from Napoleon to Hitler to Stalin, they're all the same. What, what do they want? They're just like that guy. 
They want to be significant. They want to be great. They want to be rich. They want everything. And where do they end up? And that's what today's lesson is about. Um, the prophet Isaiah is sent to tell uh, the people in Jerusalem and the king of Jerusalem that all these nations that they're depending on to protect them, all these evil kings, like the king of Babylon, the king of Assyria in particular, the, the uh, king of Egypt, are not to be trusted. They're all personifications of Satan, and what they need to do is trust God and fall back on him and worship him. Have you heard the term uh, geopolitics? I uh, take a newsletter just, you know, on the email. It comes uh, once or twice a week. It's by a, an economist named Friedman, I think. And he's always talking about geopolitics. Isn't that a great name? But it, uh, it's really something that's a big deal now, you know, because everything, all the trade, all the globalism, all depends on the geopolitics in the world. I looked it up in the dictionary, and it says, here's the definition of geopolitics. Uh, how geography and economics have an influence on politics and the relations of nations. So international political behavior between nations is what we're talking about here. And if you look back in history, the geopolitics and history, you see all the land grabs, you know, the... All, uh, in 1884, all of Europe divided up all of Africa, you know, the, the greatest land grab ever. And this ambition for territory and natural resources, cheap labor, access to ports and trade, all this geopolitics has always been an issue and, of course, is now as well. And historically, nations have always jockeyed for position. They make alliances. Uh, and, of course, those alliances are made and broken and change with the wind. They make mutual defense uh, pacts. Um, you, you can probably remember World War II. We were close allies with Russia in World War II. And then as soon as the war was over, and during the war, we supplied them with weapons and, and uh, all kinds of supplies. And then suddenly, when World War II is over, they're our worst enemy, you know? So all these alliances and everything change. You can't trust anybody. Then in the Cold, Water, we, Cold War, we struggled to maintain the balance of power. That was the main thing is just stop the spread of communism during the Cold War. Our goal was to restrain it. And we had allies all over the world that were supposedly helping us do that. We were just flowing money towards them and, and uh, weapons and what have you to keep that from happening, doing everything we could, you know, to keep that geopolitical situation from getting worse. Then in 1989, the fall of the USSR, and uh, then China's move to westernize and become a, a capitalistic system in their economy, that shifted geopolitics again. Now the focus of geopolitics is on the Middle East. Everybody's watching the Middle East and what's going to happen there. And it's, it's like almost every nation has got troops there doing something in the Middle East. Uh, so we're trying to figure out the geopolitics there in the Middle East is like having a Rubik's Cube <laughs> that's unsolvable, right? I mean, I could never do a Rubik's Cube, but to you know, somehow rig it so it wouldn't work, that's what the Middle East is like. The geopolitical situation in the Middle East is just the weirdest, 
most complicated thing ever. It's almost like everybody is against everybody. And yet everybody's making allies. Okay, I'll be with, with you against them, but I'll, I'm happy to be against you on deal with them. I mean, it's just it's incredible. Uh, and that was the situation in 730 B.C. 730 B.C., our story takes place. The prophet Isaiah was sent by God to prophesy to the city of Jerusalem with all these nations around you that you're working on all this geopolitical situations, you're trying to make alliances or you're trying to come together against other nations and everything, they're all going down, every single one of them. God's message is all these nations that you depend on, Assyria with their vast army and all their power, they're going down. Babylon, the great, is going down. And he's going to mention nine different nations that are there in the Middle East that surround and have relations with Israel. You've got Assyria to the north, Egypt to the south, Babylon to the east. Uh, you've got in between all that, you've got Syria, then Israel, Judah, Moab, Edom, Arabia, Phoenicia. He's going to go through, in these 11 chapters, he's going to go through the fate of each one of those nations. And just... Uh, for instance, how many people have been vacationing lately in Moab or Edom? <laughs> any, anybody? How about Phoenicia? Uh, Assyria, surely. You've been to Nineveh. It's one of the great... Oh, yeah, that's right. They were all wiped out. They ceased to exist, just as the prophet said. They would all be wiped out. God was going to use them according to his purpose. In fact, he used Assyria to bring judgment against the northern kingdom of Israel, and he used Babylon to bring judgment against Jerusalem. But he said, don't, don't trust them, don't make alliances with them, and don't worry about them, because in the end, I'm going to take them out, and they're going to be gone, and they're all going to be disappeared. And of course, Everything Isaiah said was true. By the way, what was Isaiah's success rate? Does anybody know? He was 100%. That's pretty good. And these are incredible predictions. I mean, you make predictions like, you know, about all these different nations and exactly what's going to happen to them and when it's going to happen and on and on. And then it does. That's pretty good, you know, to be 100%. And so Isaiah... Uh, he must have had some kind of inside track. The text says there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And God has revealed to Isaiah and sent him to prophesy to Jerusalem. Don't trust these nations. Don't get involved with their idolatrous religions. Uh, be separate from them in your belief, worship uh, with, the, with the one true God. And that's the message in today's lesson. Judah, why trust any of these nations for your security? If you rebel against God, if you indulge in, in idolatry, can any of these nations protect you from the discipline, the wrath of God? No. And God, of course, through Isaiah said, and by the way, 
Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. If you don't turn to me, I'm going to bring Assyria down there to crush you. And he did. In 722, Assyria came in, wiped them out. And by the way, Jerusalem, if you don't shape up, I'm going to bring an army with the Babylonians, the Chaldean army of the Babylonians, and they're going to crush you, which they did in 586 B.C. And so Isaiah's message is, uh, is clear. Uh, no idolatry. You come back to God. You live up to the covenant that you made to worship and obey him only. You shall put no other gods before me. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is what this is all about. Otherwise, all these nations that you're making deals with and trust, putting your faith in, they have all shaken hands with the devil. And Jerusalem, if you shake hands with them, if you make a deal with them, you're shaking hands with the devil. Why would you do that? That's the message. Uh, so as, as we go through, if you look at uh, uh, chapter 13, you have a message against an oracle. It's called, uh, I think in your translation, against Babylon. The God is going to, verse 3, execute my anger against their evil. Um, so, again, the context of this message of Isaiah were about 730 B.C. The king of Judah and Jerusalem was King Ahaz, and we saw in last week's lesson in chapter 7 that they knew that these uh, satellite nations, Syria and uh, and uh, Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, were raising an army to come down and attack Jerusalem because they wanted to stand up in an alliance with the three of them against Assyria. And so God sent Isaiah to speak to him and say, just trust God, he'll take care of you. Don't make alliances with these guys. Instead, Ahaz uh, went and made an alliance with the, the more evil Assyria, the e most evil a nation in the world at that time. So when he did that, he was shaking hands with the devil, and it came back to bite him. Assyria actually, after they conquered <laughs> the northern kingdom of Israel, they kept coming. They kept coming south. It was like making a, a, two mice that were fighting, making a, one of them calls the cat, come help me with this other mouse. You know, what's he going to do? He's going to eat that mouse, and then he's going, oh, you look good too. And that's what he did. He came on down to attack Jerusalem as well. So that's the fix they got themselves in by making that deal. Uh, and that's, that's crazy, and, and that's Isaiah's message. What sense does that make that these evil, idolatrous nations that are all going to be brought down in judgment by God, why would you make deals with them? Why would you trust them. So in, in Isaiah 13 and 14, the prophet uh, discussed uh, the major issue that drove these nations, which is uh, the pride and the self-seeking ambition, you know, the power struggle that, that they were all involved in, that plagues humanity. And as ex examples of all these evil nations and all the evil warrior nations that would ever be, Isaiah discussed the pride and ambition of the ruthless kings of Assyria and Babylon in chapter 14. 
Isaiah predicted that although God would use these nations to discipline Israel and Judah, eventually God would wipe them out too. That's the message of Isaiah. These nations that you are making deals with, that you're concerned with, God's going to wipe them out. So don't make deals with them. Uh, don't be corrupted by them. And by the way, Ahaz, how bad was his bargain with Assyria? They enforced their religion upon him to the extent that he had to sacrifice his firstborn son. Talk about shake hands with the devil. Doesn't get any worse than that, that he'd be willing to do that or have to do that. He also had to take uh, most of the gold and silver out of the temple, God's temple in Jerusalem, and give it as payoff money to Assyria. So it was insane to make a deal with people like that uh, and to think that they would treat you fairly. In Isaiah 14, uh, and specifically uh, we see here that eventually in verse 1 and 2, uh, God will have comp compassion on Jacob. God is going to do good with, for you in the end. Uh, he will also raise Israel up in the end times and settle them back in their own land. Uh, and then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Judah. The people will take them along, bring them to their place. They're going to come back and they're going to be a nation again. But look what happens. Uh, the Lord wants you to know that he is the one that's going to give you rest from your pain and turmoil that you received from all these horrible, evil nations. So in verse 4, he says, uh, you have been enslaved to all these evil nations, that you will now take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So here's the fate of the king of Babylon, the one who terrorized you and who would end up destroying the city of Jerusalem. How the oppressor has ceased. Again, the king of Babylon here is the embodiment, the personification of Satan. So everything he's saying about the king of Babylon, and when we get to uh, verse 12, is suddenly he's going to morph into Satan himself. So watch this happen. So this guy, this great ruler, this great warrior king, how the oppressor has ceased. God will bring an end to it. And how the fury that he had has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of these rulers, which used to strike the peoples in fury, unceasing strokes. These nations like Assyria and Babylon that subdued all the nations around them in anger and unrestrained persecution. God is going to end that. And instead, verse 7, the whole earth will be at rest when God does that, when God judges them and will be quiet. And they will break forth into shouts of joy that finally peace has come to the earth and all these evil tyrants and dictators and nations will be brought down. The whole earth will be at peace. Verse 8, even the cypress trees rejoice over you. All of nature will be at peace. Uh, you know, in, in all these wars and battles, they had to cut down all the trees to, to build the barricades if you were defending or to build the siege engines if you were attacking. 
Uh, so all of nature is glad about this. Verse 9, Sheol, which is the grave, it's the abode of the uh, evil dead. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses, he's talking about the king of uh, Babylon now. Sheol will greet him. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. So what he's going to say here is all the great kings and all the great leaders that have come before you, all these supposedly important men, you know, that have titles like Alexander the Great and, you know, <laughs> so-and-so the Magnificent and Ivan the Terrible and all these vicious, evil people that everybody was scared of that conquered so many nations and won so many battles and everybody feared them. Now, they're all in Sheol, you know, this pit, this place of the evil dead, and you, king of Babylon, when you get there, they're going to go, oh, here comes another one. You just thought you were pretty tough. That's what he's saying here. So Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. We've been looking forward to seeing you. Come on in. It's awful here. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leader, past leaders of the earth, raises all the kings of the nations. I'm in verse 9, by the way, if you're trying to follow me. It, ra it raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, even you, as tough as you were, as many nations as you conquered, as much booty as you took, you have been made weak like we are. You've been brought down like we were brought down become like us. Remember all your pomp and all the music when you used to march in your victory parades with all the pomp and all the bands played and all the glory and everybody cheered? Your pomp and the music of your harps has been brought down to Sheol, the pit of the evil dead. And now, instead of all the beautiful clothes and the, and the wonderful uh, parades and all the people praising you, you get to lay down here with us, and what kind of bed do they lie in? Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you. Hey, you like that? That's your fate, and worms are your covering, your food for worms. Now, in verse 12, I think he morphs into, okay, who is this guy like? Who is this king like? All these kings, all these evil tyrants, all these super ambitious men that came before you are the personification of the original rebel against God, Satan. And so in verse 12, he begins that speaking to the original rebel. And of course, all these people are actually in league with Satan anyway. And so he says, oh, how you have fallen from heaven, oh, star, bright morning star of the morning. That is uh, literally in Hebrew, the word Lucifer. You ever heard that name? Lucifer? That was his original name. He was the most beautiful of all the creatures of God and the most powerful of the angels that God made, Lucifer. And so he says, oh, how you have fallen. 
you were so great. You were so beautiful, and now you've fallen. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, O sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth. You've fallen out of heaven and been brought down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations. And so when Satan comes down, he weakened the nations, he's corrupted the nations, he's led all the evil, evil nations and all the evil rulers against God. And what, what did he do? What was his problem? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I want to be the highest in heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I want to rule all the creation of God. I want to sit on God's throne and rule. And I will sit on the mount of assembly. As all the creation gets together, I will sit above them, ruling over them. In the recesses of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here it is. I will make myself like the most high God. That's what it's all about. If you look back in history at all the evil rulers, all the great tyrants, the dictators, the conquerors, look at Rome. They had Rome had a uh, emperor's cult for almost 300 years. Every emperor not only ruled with an iron fist in the Roman Empire, but he claimed to be God, and, and they had temples in every major city to that emperor, and you went there to worship that emperor as God. Alexander the Great said that he descended, one of his parents was one of the Greek gods. They all see themselves that way, all these great men. And that's their ultimate goal, to take it all, to have it all, to rule over everything, to know what God knows, to be like God. See, and that's the king of Babylon, the king of Assyria, and all these men in history have done. But what's their fate? They wanted this. They wanted to be God. They wanted to rule they wanted it all, all the stuff. But what happened? Verse 15. Nevertheless, even though that's what you expected and that's what you aspired to, that was your ambition, what happened? You will be thrust down to Sheol. You're going to the pit of hell also. It's not good there. You're not going to like it. The recesses of the pit and when you get there, those who see you will gaze at you. They'll be amazed. They heard how awesome you were, how tough you were, all your conquests, your riches, your splendor. So they'll stare at you and go, that's the guy? That guy was tough? That guy was rich? You'll be nothing. You'll be nothing but food for worms is his message. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? 
that people were scared of? Is this the guy who shook kingdoms, took everything, conquered everybody? This guy? Is this the guy who made the world like a wilderness, the destruction that he caused? Burned all these cities, cut down all these trees, overthrew its cities. He did not allow his prisoners to go home. He took them off. Human trafficking, slavery, enslaved the whole known world. This guy? That's all that's left of that guy? All the kings of all the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. At least these other kings had a good burial. At least they died and their people buried them. But you, king of Babylon, you, you won't even get a decent burial. When Persia came in and took the, the city of Babylon in 739, they killed him and they just threw his body out in the street. Roadkill. Literally, roadkill. Look at this. But you have been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch. Humiliation, even in death. Clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword, just like another soldier. Slaughtered. Who go down to the stones of the pit. You are like a trampled corpse in the street. That's your fate. That word there, the, that's, that's uh, the Hebrew word that's translated in my book, uh, trampled corpse. I don't know what yours has. Yeah. Uh, it's also in other places uh, in Hebrew translated uh, roadkill. <laughs> it is. Food for carrion. I found it one other place and it's, you'll be food for carrion in another place. Roadkill. You will not be united with them in burial because you have ruined your country. You have slain your people. You've been a tyrant. You've been evil. You deserve all of this. And may the offspring of evildoers not be mentioned forever. All your legacy will be gone. All your children wiped out. Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. They must not arise and take possession of the earth. God will not allow it to continue. You think, you know, all these rulers, you know, would say things like, my line of kings, my descendants will rule for a thousand years. And the prophet says, no, they'll all be wiped out seed will not continue. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will cut off Babylon. I will cut off his name and the survivors, all of your posterity, declares the Lord. And I will also make it a possession for the hedgehog, all the wild animals, the swamps of water. It'll be a swamp. It'll be overgrown, destroyed completely, declares the Lord of hosts. And he's going to go on. We won't take the time to go through all the wonderful things he says. 
about Assyria, but the same treatment is going to be there for Assyria. In fact, uh, he's going to say, neither city will be rebuilt when the, God, when the Lord gets through with it. Uh, it's an interesting historical fact. The capital of Assyria was Nineveh, great city at the time right there on the Tigris River. Uh, it was attacked and destroyed completely uh, about 612, if I remember right, 612 B.C., and it disappeared. They just leveled it, they burned it, and it became overgrown. The river flooded several times and just left all of its silt and de de uh, debris on top of it, and it became just kind of a bump like a hill there on the river. And nobody saw it again. That was in 612. Nobody saw it again for 2,500 years. Didn't even know where it was. A lot of the historians said that was a fable. There was no ancient city of Nineveh. And that Bible story about Jonah going to Nineveh, that was fake. There is no Nineveh. If there was a city that size and that great, we would know where it is. We would have found the remains of it. We'd have all the archaeology. And then in the 1850s, an English explorer, uh, archaeologist, was searching for the city, and he was in what's the city that is today's Mosul. They're on the Tigris River. It's in Iraq, the city of Mosul. They're fighting for it. They're fighting ISIS for it right now. You've seen it in the news. Right across the river is the ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh, the, the capital, the great city, the capital of Assyria that had disappeared. Anyway, he saw this hill over there, and he said, you know, that geologic formation doesn't make sense that that's there. I think I'll go over there and dig around. Sure enough, he found some pottery and some stuff, so he just kept digging. And after about 10 years of digging, they found the city of Nineveh. It had disappeared for 2,500 years, just like the prophets said. Why make a deal with those guys? Why trust them instead of God? Right? Don't we do that today? We think about it. All these guys, I mean, think about World War II. Think about Adolf Hitler. How does a guy that, 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 that is that low, he was a corporal in the Austrian army, didn't have any education, was really nothing, but somehow rose to this incredible power. He's just unbelievably aggressive and ambitious. Satan was behind him, just like the prophet has said. All these great leaders and dictators are backed by the adversary of God, empowered. And it looked like Hitler was going to take over the whole world, just like all these guys. And what happened? Hitler said, we're going to build an empire. We're going to all of Europe and most of the world that will last a thousand years. The Third Reich will last a thousand years. Well, in 1945, when Russia was closing in from one side and the Allies were closing in from the other, do you remember how Hitler died? He took poison and he shot himself. Uh, his guys took him up on the street and poured a whole four-gallon can of gasoline on him and lit him on fire. And the Russian soldiers found his remains in the street, in the gutter, roadkill. You can't make this stuff up. 
How can someone be that great and have that kind of power? And then a short while later, he's roadkill. The king of Assyria, the king of Babylon, Hitler. Napoleon ends up in just some diseased guy on some island after all of his greatness. And that's what the prophet is saying. Is that the way to go? No. God has created us to have a relationship with him, a loving relationship with him, and serve him and glorify him. Not ourselves. And all these ambitious, crazily ambitious people that we study in history have rebelled against God and gone out and sought their own fortune and fame and glory and they've all ended up in this same place, Sheol, that the prophet talks about. And they meet each other and go, wow, you heard some really good things about you, but you're not so impressive anymore, <laughs> right? And that's the message of the prophet. And it's just as true for us today. Um, we have all these people we hold up to be such great men and as Isaiah would say where are all the great men all the great rulers and achievers and all these ambitious people where are they now they've all met with the same fate they're all thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit and the pit will welcome all the great men like Alexander, Xerxes, Caesar, Attila, Stalin, Hitler, and they will say the same thing. So this is the bomb that, that everybody was afraid of and made the earth tremble and did so much destruction. In John Milton's famous book about the fall of creation, Paradise Lost, you've probably heard of it, Paradise Lost by John Milton, a memorable line that everybody quotes, and I've seen this in many movies, and a lot of people actually believe this. A memorable line from Satan was, it's better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. A lot of people say, you know, that's right. Really? They need to read Isaiah. Here's the problem. Nobody rules in hell, but they are humiliated and tormented forever. Nobody rules in hell. It's a place that God created and God rules over, determines who goes there and the horrible things that happen. Rule in hell. Give me a break. So what's Isaiah's solution? What do we do? How, how should we then respond Isaiah says uh, in the beginning of his book here, chapter 1, verse 18, there's a simple solution. The fact is God desires to forgive us. And God has provided an atonement for our sin if we'll just come to him in humility. Approach him in humility and submission and belief. I want to serve you, God. And God says, even if your sins are as red as scarlet, I don't know how bad they are, no matter how bad they are, 
God will make them white as snow. God can take care of it. He can fix it. We have only to turn to God with all our heart, which is what Isaiah the prophet was speaking for God, asked Ahaz to do. All you got to do is turn to God with all your heart in submission, and he'll protect you. You don't have to fear all these kings. Turn to God with all our heart, and he will be faithful to cleanse us and restore us to eternal life with him. That's the answer. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with your word. And history tells the story, Lord. And we praise you for reminding us the fate of all the super evil, ambitious warriors, tyrants. They received the glory of men for a short while, and now they're gone. Lord, we look forward to that glory that you promised us in eternity with you if we have Jesus Christ as our Savior. And in his name I pray, amen.